Welcome, everyone. It's time for another Spotlight interview. And this week, I am so excited. Two very dear industry friends of mine. And this uh, scheduling this has been in the works for weeks. I've got John Robinson and Pete Holly from 100 Thieves here this week to tell us about their brand new game studio. They're building within one of the biggest lifestyle and esports uh, companies within all of gaming. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Ethan. Nice to see you again. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, of course. As you can tell, I uh, kind of lost my voice earlier this week. So this is going to be uh, the most ASMR kind of podcast as I might have to resort to whispers, but I'm um, going to try and let my excitement carry <laughs> me through. Um, so uh, guys, you both have deep and impressive backgrounds in gaming. Pete, I work, got the pleasure of uh, working with you working for you, traveling around and being mentored by you at EA. And as uh, you were saying, uh, you don't really remember that period too well. So I'm going to, I'm going to embarrass you a bunch about that podcast. Uh, John, I've been hugely inspired by what you've done. I've told you this privately by what you've done with hundred thieves. I remember when some um, uh, mutual friends and I were grabbing a beer and one of them said like, yeah, John is talking to this guy, Nade shot and he's trying to get investors to help him, start an esports team, whatever that is, and just, you know, watching from afar at what an amazing org uh, you've built has been really impressive. Um, but could for, for people who don't know you like I do, could you each give us a primer on your history in uh, the games industry, building building games? and Sure. I guess I'll, I'll kick off first and thank you for the very, for the very kind introduction. It's been, uh, you know, obviously... A pleasure getting to you know cross paths with you across a couple different companies here over the last like decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I began my career in, in the games industry at at EA. I was there, kind of in like one of the one of the earlier interesting generations, like the end of the Larry Probes, beginning of Riccatello era. Uh, and I was part of the corporate development group when when we added companies like Dice and Bioware and a number of others. Uh, so a really interesting transformative period for EA when they were going from. A console company to something something much bigger. Uh, <clears throat> after that, left and started my first my first company, which was a small indie game studio, uh, which uh, Pete was actually an advisor for, and we pulled a bunch of engineers and mutual friends of ours <clears throat> from EA and Zenga to build uh, sports games as the App Store was up and coming. Uh, and then I spent uh, about three years at Nexon, leading the leading the mobile games group there before uh, moving over to to Hundred Thieves and joining Nate shot on this, uh, on this wild ride. Um, yeah, I think the three of us were at EA at the same time. Cause obviously that's where I met mm-hmm. John. I was, uh, EP on burnout paradise at the time. And then I moved to California, but yeah, I, we've only, this is only about an hour long and I've been doing this for 28 years. So I'm going to try and keep this really short. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll have you I'll have you on in the future for one on one. Just yeah. uh, we'll just talk about electronic music. Yeah, yeah. We'll start another podcast and talk about Plaid's new album. Um, I was listening yes, to that today. It's very no good. joke. Uh, yeah, so twenty eight years. The first half of my career was in the UK. Um, got a big break uh, on uh, being producer on Driver on PlayStation One, which was a big uh, door opener for me because I worked so hard and. Ended up at Lionhead as employee twelve uh, on on Fable and, and Black and White, which is pretty amazing. And then we joked at the time in England that all roads lead to EA, and you know I ended up at Criterion for a, 
a few years and we, we made Burnout Paradise, which is obviously something I was very proud of. Uh, then I moved to the US. I'm actually now a US citizen. Um, I've been here 13 years and over that period, I uh, started my own company, uh, did location-based games on mobile two years before Pokemon Go. <laughs> uh, how, how are you leaving out the most influential game of your career, Dragon Age Journeys, um, with, uh, with the Dwarf? I think it's because the whole EA 2D period was, is largely a blank in my mind. <laughs> I don't, I don't. <laughs> and he, the entire time of working with me, you're just like, cross that yeah, one out. I enjoyed that. I mean, I, honestly, that that led me to think about being able to start my own company because it was such a small unit trying to really change the model. I remember mm -hmm. somebody stopping me in the corridors in EA and I was making flash games for Facebook and they were consoling me and saying they felt really sorry for me, like genuinely, like I thought I'd been demoted after going from burnout to mm -hmm. Facebook. So anyway, um, yeah, free to play games last three years in, in Web3. Um, got a sense tail end of last year where that might be headed. And um, yeah, obviously I've known John for many years. I spent a lot of time. I still believe in Web3. As, as the Web3 founder in the on the mic, I, I still so believe I. in it. I, we'll be happy. No, I think it will come back once all the grifters have gone somewhere else. <laughs> just, right. Yeah. Once I can build something yeah, worth great playing. technology, and it was designed to, to solve problems in gaming. And So I did that for a few years on, on that belief. And then, honestly, just wanted to get back to the craft of developing video games. I spent three to six months as an advisor at 100 Thieves advising John and, and Matt um, not to make a video game. And then during that process, I actually <laughs> convinced myself that actually it was a, you know, a very, a very good idea because of a number of reasons we can get into. But yeah, I joined in March and we're just having a blast. And obviously we released our um, video of our prototype playthrough yesterday. So yeah, we there was also a relentless yeah. sales pitch that was ongoing over the course of many, many mm -hmm. dinners and many drinks with, with me and Nate Shot talking about shooters with Pete. So, yeah, it was. It's about right. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Want to know how your results stack up against other gaming apps? Well, now you can. AppsFlyer, the industry leader in measurement and mobile analytics, just released a new tool providing benchmarks on 21 key growth metrics for over 20 categories in 25 markets for both iOS and Android. And it's available now for free at appsflyer.com benchmarks. Yes, you heard that correctly, completely free. In just one click, you can easily compare installs, retention, revenue, media cost, and much, much more. With these benchmarks, you'll be able to get intel on your competitors, set goals based on insights from the top 10% of mobile games, explore new markets and growth opportunities, inform soft launches, and understand market dynamics and trends so that you can adapt your UA strategy accordingly. 
Over the past seven years, AppsFlyer's industry data reports, trends, and insights have helped thousands of mobile app marketers to excel at their jobs and grow their apps. Trust them. They know their data. Head to appsflyer.com benchmarks now for more info. Well, uh, you guys have uh, assembled an um, kind of an amazing foundation to build games on, and, and we're going to get there in the, the second half. But, I, you know, in short, I would be scared if I was anybody else about competing with you um, because of the incredible stable of, of streamers and content creators you have on your side and that you're building alongside and, and for. Um, before we, for I want to explain 100 Thieves um, to the audience or have you guys explain it and, and really because um, I know a lot of people in game dev like myself don't follow streaming culture don't follow esports as, as closely I'm you know a father of three soon a father of four I'm I hit my gaming time is so limited that the idea of watching other people play games when I could be playing games it's like I only get a couple hours a week so it's one of those phenomenons that sort of pass me by and I really want to use this to learn more about it. But I have one anecdote I want to share from working with Uh-oh. Pete uh, because th- this is this has been a decade long grift just just to call you out on this. <laughs> Pete, do you remember abandoning me in Stockholm? <laughs> no. I actually don't, no, I literally don't. No. I, I spent a lot of time in Stockholm yeah. with dice, so, but I don't I don't remember this particular uh, I'll tell you what happened. We we had a trip, uh, a biz dev trip, the two of us, where we went to London to meet uh, Hello Games and Media Molecule, and I think we ran into Tim Schafer on oh, the street. Oh, that's right, we did. We went out to um, uh, visit your colleagues at Criterion and talk about I burnout. And then the, the final part of the trip, we were supposed to go visit Dice mm-hmm. together. And I'm like a young kind of associate producer. I don't know anybody at Dice. Um, you're, you're, uh, you you have all the contacts and I had personal plans to go from Stockholm to, uh, Barcelona to go to a music festival. And like the day before we're supposed to leave, you just go, you know what? I, I'm going to go to Amsterdam instead. <laughs> I'm going to go visit this studio Rockmo. <laughs> and, and I couldn't change my flights cause I was flying out of Barcelona or out of, so I, for 24 hours, Flew to Stockholm, went to a hotel where there was no joke, an ABBA CD <laughs> waiting on my pillow, had dinner by myself, had no one at EA I could even email. Well, you know, I was just trying to teach you the importance of resiliency, which is a key part of success in the games industry. <laughs> so, you know, you got to go alone sometimes, Ethan. <laughs> yep. Sorry about that. All right. No, it was, it's, it's actually a treasured memory. It's so funny. And that, that trip was great. Um, all right. So let's, let's start here. John, a hundred thieves is really a big, impressive organization that you've built up over. How long has it been? I forget. This week is, is actually our fifth anniversary. Congratulations. So I know esports is at the center, but as I observe it from afar, a hundred thieves seems so much bigger than just an esports team or a collection of esports teams. It's a lifestyle brand. It's a streamer collective. It's a really elite group of um, of uh, champion teams. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, you sell hardware. You have fashion collaborations, and now 
um, you're building a game developer. So can you, for those who aren't too familiar, can you give us a tour of kind of the different components of 100 Thieves um, and, and how do you view yourself? Is it a lifestyle brand? Is it a streamer collective? Like, what is the company? Uh, that's a that's a great question. It's a and it's a pretty fun story. And I'll I'll take a step back and, and tell like a little bit of a <clears throat> story about kind of how I got into things. Um, so this is like 2017. I left Nexon and I was working at Bessemer, a VC firm, and met with you know I thought esports was really interesting, and we met with a number of companies all around the world and asked them like what what their business model was or who they wanted to be, and a lot of them just said you know like we're going to be the Yankees for video games, and that that wasn't it, it just like that, that idea or that business model really like lacked ambition and it lacked, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, any sort of like innovation. Um, and then I was introduced to, to Nate shot through some mutual friends and the story of hundred thieves is really an extension of the story of, of Nate shot. And our strategy is really driven by his personal experiences. So his backstory was Call of duty world champion, uh, number of times over retired and became a YouTuber and streamer was like very successful doing that. But that's also when his community really expanded pretty significantly because instead of just focusing on call of duty, he was streaming, but he was streaming a variety of different games, but he was also doing YouTube videos that were about cars and tech and music and fashion and everything else that, you know, guys in their twenties and thirties are really into. Um, and his community really exploded on the, on the back of that. And so 100 Thieves is, is kind of like the extension of his career or like the third act of his career and is informed by these two things. And so uh, when he was explaining the original vision of 100 Thieves to me, it was like love sports, love competition. That's our roots. So we're going we're gonna to play in esports. And I was like, that totally makes sense. And then he said, but if we're really going to grow a passionate community, it needs to be about content and entertainment and content creators and streamers and, and i was like all right that that's also like very in line with kind of like where we see where we see the puck going right um and then the last piece was you know matt's like a, a a normal guy and takes a lot of pride being from the gaming community and in a lot of ways representing the gaming community and at the time a lot of people were making like shitty gamer merch and he's mm -hmm. like I, I can't wear this to school like this this isn't this isn't cool like you know he was wearing, I don't know, like Jordans and Supreme and other, you know, like contemporary brands. And was like, why is gaming so, you know, not cool right now? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, like this whole idea of gamers being like this stereotype of gamers drinking Mountain Dew and eating Doritos in their mom's basement is something that I think 100 Thieves is almost like on a, on a mission to like change that perception. Um, and so Matt was like, you know, I want to I want to make an apparel brand that that. I can be really proud of and that the gaming community can be proud of and, you know, be excited about. And you wouldn't know that it's a, a brand that's born from gaming if you saw any of our apparel. Um, but yeah, that, I, um, I had cool. some cousins visit me out in Charleston or they visited Charleston recently. And one of my cousins who's like in my, tw in his twenties and probably hasn't seen me since he was seven or eight, doesn't really know me. Like doesn't know I'm a game developer. We're hanging out at the beach house and he's wearing a hundred thieves golf shirt. And I actually took a picture with him. I'm like, this is the first time I've seen it in the wild. I want to send this to John someday. But like it, it didn't, there was nothing 
uh, grandma's boy about it, right? My The bane of my existence has been the movie Grandma's Boy, like meeting people in bars. Oh, you make games like Grandma's Boy, that movie where the guy jerks off to the Laura Croft statue. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but it's nothing like that. But <laughs> I think you guys are, are, are part of a movement of building this, a very different this podcast. has got a very different movie. rating than I was expecting. Hey, I asked that. I asked, Sorry, I asked, asked, that, I asked that question up front because, you know, I'm such a potty mouth. So I got that out of yeah. the way. It's not PG, so I think we're good. Got it. So all those things grow out of Nate's uh, uh, kind of person. It's It sounds like the company is an extension of his personality and kind of where he wants gaming culture to be go and how it can be perceived in, in, in the uh, collective consciousness. Yeah. I think one of our, like Matt's a little bit of like a cheat code for us as a, as a business, you know, like his mm-hmm. coming from the community, his finger on the pulse of the community um, is like really informs a lot of like the really big decisions we have to make around like, what are, you know, what are the core pillars of our business and what are those going to be in the future? And so obviously, yeah, he was, he was crucial as we were thinking about this extension into, into game development, but yeah, those are the three pillars, esports, entertainment, and apparel that we started with. Um, we also have a couple of new interesting businesses. Uh, we acquired a small hardware company called high ground. Uh, they make amazing, uh, kind of like graphics forward, design forward keyboards. Um, our view is keyboards are the new sneakers, you know, the black keyboards, Mm -hmm. not, not very cool these days. And, uh, high ground makes, we think some of the, not only best keyboards, but some of the coolest keyboards and also at pretty, pretty incredible prices. So, um, we've helped them scale as kind of like part of our, you know, like they're under our umbrella. And then similarly, we, we felt like energy drinks was ripe for a little bit of a Mm -hmm. disruptive moment. Um, most of the guys in the space are, you know, 20, 30 years old and have had the same brands and same action sports and motocross marketing strategy. And we just felt it was time for something, something new and fresh in the space. So yeah, we have a lifestyle brand and we have a couple, you know, consumer products that, that we sell, but ultimately I think the most valuable part of hundred thieves is the brand and the community. And that's like the really fun part on the business side for me and for Pete and for Matt and others is we can kind of take this in a variety of different directions. And that's really what we've seen in the last like two years here with our expansion into into the game studio. Awesome. Um, I saw a post on LinkedIn recently about all the incredible uh, success your esports teams have had lately. Can you tell us a, a bit about some of your uh, uh, performances and championship wins in the in the past couple months? Uh, sure. That was. <laughs> yeah. Being in esports is definitely the most stressful part of being at Hundred Thieves. When you're when you're okay. winning. The internet is a very kind place, and when you're losing, uh, you uh, you certainly hear it. Um, and is there, is there the call-in radio uh, equivalent for esports? Is there like <clears throat> Joe from Pittsburgh calling in there's, complaining? There's about there's no Joe from Gallery? Pittsburgh. It's called Twitter and Reddit, and they call you out and they say at Ron Jobinson, like that was a really fucking stupid decision, and then. And then you just I bet, stew does, on does that. Does your wife for a few just hours. you put your phone in the lockbox the minute you get home? Yeah, but you know it's uh, that's 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 the business, right? There's no getting around it. The yeah. the, the highs and the lows. So, um, but yeah, this year let's talk about the highs. Yeah, we've had we've had like a pretty phenomenal year. We've we built like a great team behind the scenes, and they've made a lot of smart decisions and built some incredible teams. Brought in some great GMs, and this year, 
yeah, starting end of 2021, we won the League of Legends North America Championship. That was the first time we were the first expansion franchise to win that. It had kind of been three old school esports orgs that had won that. Um, so that was a big accomplishment. And this year we finished second uh, in Valorant. <clears throat> we won the very first Valorant major tournament in North America. This year we won North America qualifiers and we're at the World Championships. We're very, very excited about the future of Valorant and Valorant esports. And then Call of Duty obviously is our heritage. And so that was like kind of like really the the icing on top this year was winning a major in August. And then we won the world championships in September. And that was our first world championship for 100 Thieves uh, this year. So yeah, we're uh, we're definitely riding, riding a high right now. And we're very excited for the 2023 seasons, which are going to kick off here in a couple of weeks. Awesome. And, and tell us uh, about some of your, who some of your top streamers and top content creators are, right? Like if you're like me, you're not really heavy into streaming culture. Who are some of the hundred thieves creators that you, that I should check out? Like if I wanted to really start educating myself on the space, who's, who should I go watch? Sure. So there's like a pretty wide variety and a pretty interesting collective that we've put together ranging from. Uh, our two other co-owners in addition to Matt are Valkyrie, who's arguably like the most popular and most watched female gamer in the world right now. Um, she's been with us since, since pretty much the very, the very beginning and has been amazing to, to work with. Uh, but yeah, she's probably the most popular and most well-known. Um, one of our other co-owners is a guy named Courage, who made his name actually as a caster in the Call of Duty scene before transitioning into becoming one of the most popular Warzone and Fortnite streamers. Um, so a lot of people know him. And then uh, we have, I think, about 15 or 20 content creators on our roster right now. Um, but on the newer side, we have people like Kaide, who's one of the like fastest growing women in gaming. Um, she streams a lot of Valorant. And then we also have uh, one of the newest signings is actually we have a guy named Vinny, who uh, is most, most well known for actually being a TikTok content creator, but who's also like a really, really nasty FPS player. So it's awesome that, hmm. I mean, he has like, just to give you a sense of the scale, like Nate Chat has, I think like 10 million followers across all of his social channels. Vinny has something like 25 or 30 million followers. Oh, wow. The majority of those are on TikTok. So as we're thinking about the next generation of 100 Thieves content creators and the next generation of 100 Thieves fans, you can see this pivot from traditional platforms like Twitch and YouTube to now TikTok and some of the uh, emerging platforms. Got it. And tell us about the 100 Thieves fans and the 100 Thieves community. That's kind of the core of everything you do. You know, is there a grand unified theory of who is a 100 Thieves fan and community member? Or does each content creator and each team bring in their own audience? No, I think think you got it. That second part is exactly right. Like the beauty of the 100 Thieves community is... It's, it's like one large group, but it's also a bunch of other smaller pockets. There are people who are really, really, who follow just our Call of Duty team or just our League of Legends team, or a lot of like younger fans have attached themselves to our Valorant team. And then separately, you know, mm-hmm. we have Minecraft streamers and Warzone streamers and every, every game you can imagine. So it's lots of these small pockets, but in, in some ways we kind of like, look at our world a little bit like the Marvel universe where everybody has their own feature and they all do their own thing. But part of this, like 
the special magic sauce of 100 Thieves is when we bring them all together and bring all those fans together, whether that's for like a in-person pop-up for one of our apparel drops or when we bring all of our creators together every year for something we do called Creator Camp. Um, that's mm-hmm. Those are like really special moments for us. Got it. Um, and, and you talked about it in two specific examples with these two, but um, tell us about your reach. I mean, uh, from from my perspective, 100 Thieves has one of the most powerful marketing engines for games and gaming culture around. And it was a big part of why I wanted to do this episode, because if I was um, a, com- a direct competitor to you, um, which I don't think my games will be, but I, I would be scared. I would be scared of, of uh, who you have leading the charge and what you're building and the amount of fi- marketing firepower behind it, because the biggest lesson... Of, of my past decade plus in free-to-play has been the power and importance of marketing and how important the marketability of your game is from day one. I, I don't start with game design documents anymore. I start with a marketability thesis before I even get to anything because it's, you know, if if you don't have a strategy for cutting through the noise and, and attracting attention, like you're just going to be another one of those thousand games <coughs> in the bottom of Steam. So, t- so... All that is a prelude to tell tell us about your marketing reach because it's uh, it's uh, impressive and, and you know frightening from a competitor standpoint. Uh, well, well, I appreciate that. Hopefully, it's not it's not frightening, but more more welcoming. Um, we uh, frightening frightening if I think about trying to go up against you as all if I'm trying to step to you. Well, we've we've also said yeah. this like games is not like a zero a zero sum industry, right? It's like as we learned right. with Valorant and CS:GO. So we're just, we're in a lot of ways, we're just kind of like heads down doing our own thing. But looking back, we've got about, we have over 150 million fans across all of our social channels. So we feel like when we turn, when we turn those on or when we light those up, when there's something really special happening in the world of hundred thieves, like kind of like the whole gaming internet is hopefully going to see that. And we think obviously like does see that. And so, yeah, it's kind of wild looking back at some of the videos that we've put out around project X, we had you know, over a million people just watched the announcement video where we're talking about the philosophy behind why we'd make a video game. And actually had, there was no video game. There was no like employees or anything. Um, and, and I remember a long diversion on the movie project X that I also had completely blacked out of my memory. (laughs) I've actually never seen it. I didn't, I, I didn't even know it was a movie. I found that out on Twitter again, like, like most people, but, um, yeah, to get, I think we've had like 250,000 people watch our pre-alpha reveal. Like that's kind of, that's kind of wild to think that people, yeah. people would, would, how many people would want to watch something about a prototype, but when it's including all of their favorite people coming from their favorite community, it, it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah, Absolutely. So let's, before we get to, cause I want to, I want to talk about developing in public, but what was the inspiration? Why are you building out your own, um, game development studio, right? Like, I mean, it, it's clear that when you bring on someone of Pete's caliber, who's worked on not only Dragon Age <laughs> Journeys, but Burnout, <laughs> Driver, Fable, Black and White, um, these are legendary games, like you're not fucking around when you bring Pete Holly on board, uh, all the Telltale games. So like, what what was the inspiration? Where was the inception of the idea that Hundred Thieves is going to start making its own games? I think it really was just kind of informal conversations around like 
the around the lunch table as we were shooting videos, watching our guys on stream. They they just uh just watching them coming from kind of like a game development and game publishing background, they always had like these really thoughtful insights into why they were playing games, why they were dropping dropping games, right? And they always had this they always had this feedback and I don't know, I guess like privately I think a, a lot of them felt like they would give a lot of feedback to developers and publishers, but maybe that that feedback wasn't really being heated in in a lot of ways. Right. Um, They're like, th- thanks, thanks, guys. We we got it. Just get on the on, on Twitch. Yeah, we all know that. By the way, this isn't this isn't a knock on on major publishers. Major publishers make a lot of money, and they and they obviously like like know what they're doing. But I think for our content creators and streamers, they're they're I mean, their encyclopedic understanding of games, like with incredible depth is is really really amazing and i was like wow these guys are all like it was it was like talking to very experienced game designers right like mm-hmm. in a lot of ways like if you look at our collection of of content creators and esports pros it's like having 30 like really experienced and thoughtful game game designers on staff um and so yeah it was really just like those conversations we were just watching and at the beginning of 100 thieves we never thought we were, we would make a game just because the the barrier to entry was so high. But over the last five years, things have really changed in terms of the progress that Unreal has made. Um, proof points like Fall Guys and Among Us games that that didn't have you know fifty or hundred million dollar development budgets, but really mm-hmm. captured the the imagination of the biggest content creators and the Twitch community and the YouTube community, right? Um, and so I think it just like, it put this seed in my head and Matt's head that, that maybe there was something that, that we could do here. Um, and that's when, that's when we kind of reached out to Pete, I don't know, like almost maybe like two, two years ago yeah. to just start kicking this around. Like, like, could we, we, a, could we pull this off? Maybe we had a dinner in Venice, I believe. And then John broke the news because you know, I've known John for like 15 years and said, Oh, we're going to make a video game. And I was like, what? <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. You have to be really careful you don't burn all your money trying, man. That's like super scary. Um, right. And then during the process of... You don't want to pull a Kurt <clears throat> Schilling over there. It's not an easy Well, it's thing just to so do. easy. Like, it's just so easy, as you know, to, to burn money, right? It, 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 so many companies just raise more capital than they need. You know, they hire more people than they mm-hmm. need. They create bureaucracy in a large team before they've even got anything. And it it just it, yeah. the starts often bad. And to your point earlier, there's no really there's no real product or what's the unmet need about what they're building. There's no foundation often to what mm-hmm. you see, and then you know that the, there's no there's no ultimate way to bring that to market because the answer to how are you going to market your game is usually you know I'm going I'm to spend you know ten to fifty dollars an install on a D thirty retention of seven percent. It's like like that's really right. scary. Or I'm going to buy a Super Bowl <laughs> ad for Dante's Inferno. And that's the process that we, you know. yeah, that's the, but that's the process we started. We, we, when I, we were laughing earlier, we did a video and we didn't have anything. I'd already decided to join the company largely because of what we just talked about. Like the idea of going to a n other large company or studio and continue my, my career track in that sense. I knew what I was going to run into was exactly the same problem, right? Which is. Where's your audience? How are you mm-hmm. going to find them? How much is that going to cost you? And 
here's a really complicated spreadsheet and a, a PL and an LTV and all the metrics in the world to try and, you know, like figure that out whilst competing against like everybody else. So that conversation about why a hundred thieves would make a game is really where we started. Like what well, why would we make one? And there's so many answers to that question. Mm. One is reach, the other is I, I, I just think anyone who does anything, and this was Matt's point to me when we first started talking, it was like anyone who does anything on the internet from these days forward has to be authentic. And and that's often hard to find in secretive, you know, (laughs) PR-driven, press release-driven large organizations. The the connection between those making and those playing, very difficult to establish. And then there's an inauthentic barrier between those people too. And And I think the audience is so wicked smart They've, they've figured out there's, there's a better way. And you see that, you know, 75% of 9 to 14-year-olds in America play Roblox. Who says they want to just show mm-hmm. up and give you 60 bucks for your game after you took five years making it? So I just think there's a better way. And we, we, we spent a lot of time on that thesis before we wrote a single line of code. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing the full-on deconstruction first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. Recent changes in the app stores are boon to mobile game developers. Now you can sell in-game items and currencies with big savings on transaction fees. And Exola just added three new features to their web shop for mobile game solution to help you level up your monetization practices outside the app stores. The three solutions are subscriptions, analytics, and promotions. Now, subscriptions are a smart add to your mobile revenue strategy. They boost game revenue with predictability while maintaining a lawyer user base. Analytics give you data, and data has become fuel on which modern society runs. If you don't know your players, you won't know what they want or how to get them to click that buy button. Analyze your data so you can create critical piece of the purchasing puzzle. Finally, promotions allow you to easily reach out to opt-in players via email or Discord and other channels to bring them to your web shop on your website. You'll be able to generate new sales and keep more profit. To find how to get started, visit exola.pro slash mobile or go to the link in this podcast description. Yeah, I'm, all, I'm also, I share Pete's thoughts. I'm pretty cynical having, like, having been through that kind of like mobile generation, like 20, call it like 2010 to, to 2020. Like, I'm pretty cynical about like the, 
pack to LTV video game business. Like that is just, it's, mm. it's, it's brutal. The development's brutal. Live it's operations really are brutal. Tough. Like scaling those games is brutal. And, and I mean, part of why it was like kind of nice to take a step away from game development there for a few years was like, it reinvigorated my passion for creating things and, and building things. And, and I wasn't like coming out of the trenches, but rather approaching this next journey with like fresh optimism that we weren't just building a CAC to, to LTV game, but rather like building a mm. game that our creators are going to like love. And that we know if we hit, if we build a game that's good enough for them, our audience is going to love it. And we fundamentally don't don't have to worry about a massive marketing budget. Yeah, that's the refreshing part. Right. You know, you it's have... the, it, all we talk about it is the the how we're going to approach doing this. We we, we think we've figured out the why, and now we're, we're we're deep into what the game could be. And it's just so refreshing to get back to the craft of that, right? Because it's all about how it mm -hmm. feels and how it plays, and the importance of the foundations that we build. Because you know the, the live service part, or you know the, the idea of developing a and other game where revenue is the why, and you figure out some algorithmic ways to sell things. That's great. You know that can come later. Like, I think a lot of people need to go back to the to the craft of, of figuring out how and when a game is fun from the very beginning. Right, and the, the, the craft of that is, is is the best part. Yeah, and and I think um, that part of, you know, as difficult as the Apple's privacy changes are making the lives of, you know, kind of me and other free-to-play mobile devs um, who it, it actually, uh, on the positive side, like not being able to do this algorithmic spear phishing of here's a list of 100 people who spent $1,000 on a game like mine, let's market to them and people like them, but instead actually needing to think, what is the creative, what is the vision that's going to inspire one of those people and find them to come in? Like it's, it forces you to, to step away from this. You know, I've, I've watched ads for my games launch where they literally say we took 15 seconds of gameplay and combined it with a hundred different random 15 second Adobe stop motion clips. And this was the best performing one. And we're going to keep working on this. And so it's like a video of someone squatting and then a video of gameplay. It's like, how is this, how is this the marketing for this game? This makes no, no sense. Right. Like I already know what our marketing is for our game. It's going to be Matt going on stream, talking about why we made the key yeah. choices that we made and thousands of people watching him who actually trust his opinion being like, oh, that sounds, yeah, I agree with that. That sounds pretty fun. Like I should give, I should give that a try. So. And like the idea of being able to either get gifted or buy a founder's past and go play it with like, go play it with your virtual best friend and hero and, and listen to them talk about it. Like that's an amazing, that's the type of experience that like, uh, growing up, uh, being such a fan of, of games and reading the types of magazines that Pete, I, I believe you started oh, your right, yeah. I skipped that writing, bit. like the idea of having the idea of game developers being real people let alone real people you could act with, interact with would have been. Well, that's why one of, the, one of the big innovations that we've been working on so early is, isn't just, you know, the precise connected play through great net code and animation and everything you'd want from a first person shooter. You'll, you'll see that in the prototype footage. One of the key innovations for us was to be able to, I guess, go back to, and I'm being the old guy here, but going, going back to what Quake was with the console and the ability to sort of edit, customize and adapt 
sort of quarter century mm-hmm. later, we, we want to go back to that that sort of thinking where, you know, whether you, when you're playing and adjusting the variables for yourself and your friends, you could be able to deploy that to whoever's on the server, deploy that to your network. So you can imagine anyone who is a creator or streamer can can edit and deploy and host their own game experiences, right, based on our core uh, a game that we release, but the customization aspects of what we're doing and how to deploy and share that with people is a, a big innovation that we've started with early because yeah. of you know what 100 Thieves is as opposed to it just being something that we thought was cool. We're doing it for that very specific reason. You could almost GM a game for the people watching. You guys just released, was it just yesterday or two days ago, your first behind-the-scenes video? Yeah. Was it, and, and how long has the game been in Eight development? Weeks. Jesus. Well, it's, it so, goes, like Pete, when you contrast, it goes to... back to um, you know th- this isn't anything new really, but the the idea that what Valve was and what ID was and still are, but that belief that you, if you just hire phenomenal people and not many middle mm-hmm. managers, just absolute software engineering and product, you you can move at light speed. And and I think one of the other reasons that that I took this role was that. John and Matt really gave me the opportunity to say, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna make a game. You can do it however way you see fit." And so it's twenty five years of big hits and big misses. Uh, and you think about, well, where would you start at the ground level? You start with just absolutely phenomenal people focused on on engineering and solving the biggest problems first. And you know that's what I'm happiest about is not just the reception and the reach that the video has, but actually the, the, the that thesis is is born to be true. You know, three people for eight weeks, and we have a pretty amazing playable prototype and you can't force people to have fun what did you show off right people playing multiplayer in gray box yeah what what, what was yeah it's a small level we can have a number of any players we want um we had anything between 12 and 16 in the playtest it was pretty much every man for themselves uh four weapons grenades you know slide jump everything you'd want in in a great game experience. And we, we waited till we had something that felt really good. It's all about feel at this stage, right? When we, when we made Burnout, mm-hmm. we used to say controller out, right? It has to, you have to feel deeply connected to what it is you're experiencing on the screen. And then when you add your friends, it just exponentially gets a thousand times better. And that, that was really the goal, was just to deliver something really precise and connected. The netcode's world-class. The team were working with a phenomenal, and, and that's that was that's what allowed us to get back to, I think, what a lot of other companies have lost, which is why are we making this? And all the completion urgency has gone away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's easy to yeah. say that when we're so small, but that's really important that we retain that. I mean, it, it really sounds really just super exciting to me because having this conversation has reminded me about, like, I remember walking around EA because we all worked at Redwood Shores and you'd see concept art up from, like, concept art house or similar of some AAA console vision game. Um, it's like, oh, it's Jack the Ripper, and this is going to be the next big thing. And it like it looks fine. And like four years later, the concept art's still up. The game's unannounced. There's still like 80 fucking <laughs> well, my, people. My joke, I remember thing. my joke at the time was like, you know, the worst way you can start a video game is is to put like, eight dudes in a room for nine months, right? Because they're going to come out with Space Marines and Orcs. So don't even go in the room. Mm -hmm. Like, get to software, get to engineering, 
get to the unmet need as fast as possible and and, and don't write a 120 mm-hmm. slide deck get to software and use that as the mirror yeah. of all your ideas you know and i think that's so important otherwise yeah, you, you just burn money chatting in meeting rooms for months on end. It doesn't really yeah, the uh, the first the first playtest went almost exactly as we were kind of hoping. We have a lot of like very non traditional advisors and game designers, basically, right, working on this. Mm-hmm. But talking abstractly about, oh, what do you love about Fortnite? What do you not like about Apex? Yada yada yada. Like, isn't isn't that fun? Like, put them in a sandbox and they're running around, and then all of a sudden it's just like. It was like unleashing, like, you know, like opening a dam of like these amazing insights into what they loved mm-hmm. and what they didn't love about the gameplay and the, mo- or sorry, the gunplay and the movement. Yeah, the best and then immediately like, that is. flowed. Yeah, it just flowed into like, they were like, oh, what, what if we did this? What if we did this? What if we did this? Like, like, oh, last night I was playing this and I really loved it. It was the first time I had this experience. Mm-hmm. Can we riff off of that? And you're like, great. And so I think Pete and the team left that that playtest session with, I don't know, a hundred new ideas. Some of them as big as like, you know, gameplay concepts, some as small as like, here's how I feel about, uh, ADSing. Was it, um, was it scary to relate really, to upload it to the internet? Uh, I, I actually eight, the, I've, I've worked on projects where all I accomplished in eight weeks was a slide. No, I just thought it was liberating. Actually, it was, it was liberating. Yeah. yeah. Because if you're going to promise an audience, as Matt did, uh, a sort of look behind the curtain, you know, a, a sort of behind-the-scenes view on how this comes together, then, yeah, it's a little nerve-wracking the first time you show anybody anything. But I think that's important too, right? Don't don't wait till it's perfect. It's such a terrible way to build things because it's never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd spend like nine months putting a build together and then I'd get on a plane to Redwood Shores and I'd show everyone at EA and they'd go, yeah, that's shit. And you're like, well, I wish I'd just shown it every couple of weeks. We would have iterated towards something as opposed to right. trying really hard to make it perfect, right? Because nothing nothing is. So if you can iterate with code, we had this during the play session. Um, Valkyrie turned to me and said, it, it feels a little slow. And we just dropped the console and changed all the walk and run speeds and jump and gravity. And suddenly it changed the entire game experience. So, you know, it's uh, yeah, it was liberating, I would say. I wasn't nervous because we already burned our ships. Like we already announced we're making a video game right. a few months ago. And we took all we took like all the flack. And it was actually really fun because we immediately became underdogs. And we immediately admitted mm-hmm. that like we have a low chance of success here. It's going to be really hard. We're non-traditional. We kind of don't know what we're doing. All of those things. And so like it's like now it's like this fun underdog story of like, are they actually going to be able to pull this off? So there's there's nothing we could have done that would have like, you know, like again. The odds are already stacked against us, so I was excited to show that we, we, actually, I, we actually have made a little progress. I have progress. to push back on that statement because I know Pete, I know Damon, right? Like these are serious, serious developers. No, no, I mean from I mean it's, from the internet's good. perspective though. The internet's like, oh, Nature oh, okay. doesn't right. Nature doesn't know how to code. This is gonna, you know, right? But it's well, it's, the internet is the worst place <laughs> in the world. It is the best place, but it's also the worst. It's got the best humans and the worst humans, and they're often in the same body. The, the, the beauty know? of the beauty of what we've done so far, honestly, is there's no ego. There's no there's no belief that it'll be ultimately successful just because we exist, right? It, it's the organization, you know, John and Matt should be proud. I, have, I haven't met a single asshole in 10 months. That's certainly the first time for me in my video games career. Is that why you keep refusing my resume, Pete? Is well, there no you assholes? Have to, you have to send it first, Ethan, and then I'll let you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> You'll just say, you know, no assholes and send it back to me. Yeah, I have a stamp. I actually made one. Yeah. But the the um, it's so important. Imagine building a video game in an environment where you're surrounded by your target audience. Now, target audience... Target audience yeah. doesn't mean we're making a game for esports. Target audience means it's mm-hmm. a company full of twenty to thirty something men and women who play every great game in the market, and their ideas are awesome. I've been doing this a long time. I've heard some of the best ideas I've heard for a, a, over a decade. You know, the team's awesome. So it's a it's a, a pleasure, really. Yeah. It, if if you guys have a piece of software that the streamers and hundred thieves are excited about. Clocking in on on their free time, like if it lights the fire I think that's inside the of best them, bit. Like how could you the, not? There's win? no question. It's like when we finished Burnout Paradise, I gave the team December off because we were launching it in January, and I went, "All right, let's go home. Let's go to the pub." Everyone stayed in the office and played, and we had the same in in the play mm-hmm. test. In both sessions, you know, all our creators stayed for way longer than was on calendar. They played, and then yesterday, uh, Courage just texted me. It's like, "Hey, can I get some Steam codes? I'm going to play my buddies." And me and John jumped in and. The LA thieves reached out. Can we get some Steam codes? So, it, yeah, it, it, it just feels good when people are asking you to continue play when the formalized whatever you know time and session is is over. It doesn't feel good when you jump in game though, and you're playing against professional first person shooter, right? <clears throat> Esports athletes. No, it's horrendous. Right. It's horrendous. Like especially at my age. I mean, like pistol head, As pistol played... headshots at a quarter mile. It's not my favorite experience, but you know. Yeah. I, I play single player linear games on easy mode. Like this just scares me. Um, the idea of being just meat for the grinder. Um, so what, you know, the, it sounds like the studio is pretty small, uh, right now you're talking to an audience of game developers, you know, how big do you think the team's going to get over 2023? Who are some of the key people you're looking for? Well, with, we're thinking about it very, very much like a startup, right? We, we're looking for some key founders in key places, particularly around uh, tech engineering, because, you know, for where we are and where we're going to be in the short term, that's hypercritical for us. So in the short term, the team's going to stay real small. I'm talking six to eight people over the next few months. We just made a terrific hire, which I'll be announcing on LinkedIn in the next couple of days. Um, someone from Blizzard who's just going to fundamentally change our visual styling and the way the game will look at some point in the future. Um, so, yeah, we, we're going to be posting um, some pretty interesting roles uh, real soon. And then John and I are talking to all manner of interesting companies about funding and growing things in a quite a unique way. We've had conversations with companies that might want to co-develop with us. We've had conversations with potential investors. So it's, um, yeah, the next few months can be really interesting. And that's why it's great to have this software that we can show people. I would I would say that we know that we don't want to build like a multi hundred person studio, um, and we're not going to be like building for you know like five to seven years on this on this thing. So I think we're probably taking much more inspiration from uh, I don't know a place like like Supercell where it's like a group of very very like small very talented people, um, their respective disciplines, and then complementing that with a variety of other groups. Probably more likely going to be external, um, but yeah, that would be like the initial hypothesis and. And we'll see, but right, yeah, right now it's like a basically like a distributed model. Yeah, we think about it. Um, I call it success-based hiring. You, your success in the software should should then um, move you to the next phase, and you, you can manage that yourself. You don't want to go out and say, "All right, we're going to raise seventy-five million bucks," and you know, hire, to John's point, hire one hundred and ten people. 
what we want to do is is hire nothing but the best, retain that completion urgency, raise raise and bring in enough capital to make it through the next phase, which could be a year or whatever, and, and just deliver on on software consistently. And um, I think that way it means that we don't need extraordinary amounts of money, we don't need the noise and bureaucracy of a large company, and for the eight weeks, for what we've delivered in eight weeks, if we can maintain that over the coming months, I'm, I'm really excited where we'll be in, I guess, around about GDC, I guess. Got it. And and if someone is uh, inspired, enthusiastic, uh, really interested based on what they've heard today, how, how can they reach out? Well, there's, there's a couple of ways. Obviously, there's LinkedIn. Um, and then we have a an email, which is dev at 100thieves.com. And um, we, we've actually hired... Um, is it dev or game dev no it's dev d-e-v yeah dev uh-huh. cool um yeah we, maybe set up both just in case <laughs> yeah we've had some really We're good uh, we've had some really good um uh, inbound from that too right uh, and people are everywhere we're just we're just gonna awesome. hire and work with the people i don't care where they are we, we, we we're pretty distributed and most people are these days but um yeah that, that going into the new year we're gonna be getting more aggressive on hiring but I would say engineers, animators, people with FPS experience are obviously like at the top of our list. But we also have a few people on the team or that we're contemplating that are like very, very young or very early in their careers, but are also really hungry and come at it with like a, a very unique perspective. Um, yeah, who may become more from kind of like the Roblox or modding community more than like the AAA dev community. Mm-hmm. And I think that like a, a mix of those two things is a really interesting uh, combination. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, thank you for um, dealing with my horrible laryngitis voice. Uh, this has been really fun, really great, and I, I hope I can uh, get you back on in a couple months after a couple milestones and, and get an update on how building this thing with your community and public is going. Because from where I stand, it's one of the most exciting developments that I know of in, uh, thanks, in the man. industry. So thanks so yeah, much for sorry coming. about Stockholm. <laughs> Thanks, Ethan. This made up for it. Finally, finally, I feel right, some closure. Good. We'll uh, we'll get you a Steam key, and uh, yeah, we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you in the lobby. You'll headshot me. No, that, uh, will, you'll, that you'll won't be me. The the worst kill to death ratio you've ever yeah. seen. All right, Cheers. thanks, guys. Bye. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.